It is time to go deeper in God's Word. It's time to engage in truth. Here is Dr. Steve Ford and Pastor John Bornsheen. Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornsheen. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. And I'm thrilled that you're tuning in again because we have already covered several topics that are somewhat tough, I think. These are challenging discussions, but that's what we do here on Engage in Truth. We want to give you the truth from God's holy word. That is our plumb line. That is our standard. And the topics have to be discussed. Otherwise, it's sort of this thing that we we hold off on a side conversation somewhere. We're thinking about these things, but we don't, don't want to address it because we might cause an offense. And so we have our own preconceived ideas about these various topics. And then we find that the church becomes very divided over things it should not be divided over. Rather, we are to be of one mind and one voice as we praise God. And it requires God's people to understand his word so that we can navigate these very difficult subject matters and know how to speak with absolute assurance, confidence, boldness that we know the truth because after all, it is the truth that sets us free. So over the past few weeks, we have covered subjects like Christians and the government, American exceptionalism, social justice. Today, we're talking about abortion. Then we're going to move on to other topics like homosexuality, pornography, war, environmentalism, even religious pluralism, and yes, even the discussion of evil. So this is a a series of conversations about very serious matters. So today we're talking about something you might be quite familiar with because it really is all over our headlines talking about abortion. And you you probably already have a a various uh, perspective on that. You've already got a preconceived notion. You've gone through the pros, cons, and discussed all of these matters, perhaps even with family members. And you have perhaps landed in one camp or another or somewhere in the middle. And so what I'd like to do is just explore this topic further with Dr. Steve Ford here in the studio with me. And and perhaps it's going to take us one week, too. We're not sure yet. We're just going to go through some biblical guides on this and really take us through some of the history and how this came about and and what a good biblical Judeo-Christian view should be on this matter of abortion. So, Dr. Ford, I'm glad that you're here with me to talk about yet another very difficult subject matter, but I believe by God's wisdom through the Holy Spirit, we're going to get through this, and hopefully on the other end of it, people will have some real clarity on this subject. Yeah, I really hope so, and we encourage you to, to be Bereans, dig into God's Word, check us on the things that you hear on our radio show today. That's This is Engage in Truth. That's our foundation, our Lord and Savior, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, and we are Talking before the show, this is there's so many aspects, so many facets to this, and there's so many people potentially negatively impacted. Not only the the potential uh, mother, the the baby, uh, but also uh, the the father of the child, mm-hmm. um, as well as the person performing the abortion. Um, so there there are really a lot of lives affected by this issue, and then sort of like ripples in a pond, how those. Uh, lives can be impacted in their future relationships as they go on through the years. That's right. And many people have probably heard my testimony. We've talked about that here on the air. And and I've shared that uh, with great, even graphic description. My mother has actually been on the program as well and talked about her journey and the multiple abortions that she had. And I was the only child that she was then allowed to have. That even after all the scarring and the, the difficulty on her body and, and her relationships and so forth, that God allowed her to have one more. And she kept me, praise 
be to God. I'm Amen. glad that she kept me. And, and the fact that the Lord would allow me to have 30 years in ministry and become a pastor and be here on the air, being a voice for the unborn, this is a God story. And, and he is constantly doing that in and through the lives of those who have been spared from abortion. I believe that we can really look to the fact that, that God is in this great story. This is truly the quintessential light versus darkness, truth versus lie, and it is all around us. So we want to give some clarity to this matter. Now, I think the, the question that is before us in this, Dr. Ford, is, is the termination of a pregnancy ever right? That's really the question before us. Can we ever justify the termination of a pregnancy? Is that really for man to determine? Because we have to have a right perspective of life and its value to truly then understand our role and responsibility in this. And since the 1973 Supreme Court decision in the case of Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion in the United States, and that was before it was recently overturned, the abortion question has continued to divide Christians and non-Christians alike. Let me throw out a couple quotes here to get our conversation started. J. Carl Laney, he says, abortion on demand is without question the greatest moral issue facing America today. No other contemporary moral problem in this country results in the deaths of over a million innocent unborn children each year. Now, I, I would say that as we get into some discussions like sex trafficking, human trafficking, we touched on that when we hit on the American exceptionalism discussion a little bit. Now, we could certainly say that is a huge moral issue here in America that's often there's a blind eye, deaf ear turn to that issue. And of course, we've seen with the Sound of Freedom movie that's, right. that's come out and bringing some attention to this matter. But of course, we could say that his quote here about abortion is still very relevant. Millions of children being slain in the womb. Uh, here's another quote from Scott Ray. For over two decades, the abortion debate has intensified and it shows no signs of being resolved. It is still the debate which defines the current cultural conflict in America and will likely remain so in the foreseeable future. So it may be surprising to some to learn that within Christianity, there are disagreements about abortion. Aren't Christians uniformly opposed to abortion? That seems to be the question, and not necessarily. And that's what we want to talk about here today. How do we get to that point where even Christians are divided on this? And the typical description or definition of abortion, let me start there. The deliberate termination of a human pregnancy, that's what we're focused in on here. So there are three key points that stand out in that definition. It's the abortion that's done intentionally. The abortion involves interfering in a natural process to bring something to its end. The abortion involves the unborn offspring of a human being. So we're not talking about miscarriages here because those are not done deliberately. That doesn't apply here. So I, I think that what we have to understand is, is how did we get to this point where Christians can be divided on this subject? So Dr. Ford, what are some of the reasons for why women may choose to terminate their pregnancy, even Christian women sure. may choose to do that. Yeah, there's a number of reasons, you know, given out there for abortions, including um, one very common one that we hear about that has been common throughout the ages is to save the life of the mother. Another one is incest or rape, although I understand the, that's a, a fairly small percentage. 
Gender selection would be another. Uh, sometimes performed because the, the fetus may have a condition, uh, maybe a genetic condition like Down syndrome. And sometimes they're performed simply because the mother chooses to have an abortion, maybe for social reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we certainly see a lot more of that. It seems to be that many who go into it with an abortion-minded perspective is because there's fear. They don't think that their uh, home conditions are, are conducive for raising up a child. Maybe they're not in a marital situation. So this is a, a child birthed or about to be birthed, a child in the womb out of a wedlock situation. Uh, maybe there's difficult family dynamics. So there's all sorts of reasons why people will justify terminating the pregnancy as if it's in the best interest of the child. You don't need to be born into these circumstances, right? We'll try to justify all of this or for the best interest of the mother, you know, that this is maybe we'll use health as a factor. It's probably not the significant factor in this case. Generally, it's because, well, you really don't have the resources to raise a child. You're doing this on your own. You really don't need to be in that kind of circumstance. You really need to think out, think of what's in your best interest in this case. And and listen, you're you're listening to the voice of a man who was birthed into those circumstances. Circumstances. A mother who had no husband, who had no real future, really, by way of the world's perception of this circumstance. She didn't have a red carpet rolled out for her and, and a bunch of roses saying, oh, well done. You've you've selected to, to choose to carry this pregnancy all the way through. And now there's a big finish line awaiting you and a bunch of clapping hands and cheering people and crowds celebrating your decision. No, she had to make the right choice and, and it was going to cost her something. It was going to be tough. But I believe the Lord has blessed her greatly in making that decision for life. So they're rarely going to be the circumstances that are ideal outside of wedlock. And even in a marriage, there can be less than ideal circumstances, sure. as we know. I mean, we deal with those kind of calls that come into the program and other factors. As a pastor, I can certainly testify to those type of counseling appointments where there can be difficulties in any circumstance. But what we have to believe in this is that God is greater than right, that. He's bigger. Yep. Nothing is impossible for God. When we make the right decision for the unborn, we are putting ourselves in the hands of our gr- greatest ally, who God who loves us even before the foundation of the earth, who will fight for us when we do what is right and honorable before him, who loves us that much and is the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills. What is impossible for God? So let's look at the worldviews of abortion in this. I mean, culturally, we seem to be growing more desensitized when it comes to ethical questions. So a worldview is the framework through which someone sees reality, interprets it, and makes choices as a result of it. So you have an atheistic perspective or a naturalistic worldview in that, and it can view that, I mean, really, it's a very harsh worldview, if you think about it, that we're simply an act of random chance mathematical equations, various various chemical reactions and so forth. And, and here we are, an undirected process. We just exist for the sake of existing, uh, as if we're just some random process. We hold no special place in the universe. Then the doors open all kinds of questionable, uh, questionable behaviors in that, because then there really is no moral standard. It's uh, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. There is no relative factor here that that, that holds any water because 
well, after all, you know, if, if uh, uh, you know, you'd have collateral damage of, involved in the process because, well, you know, people are then likened to the rest of a- the animal kingdom. There's nothing significant or special about them. It's a horrible world worldview, in my humble opinion. I mean, because it, it, it could lead to all sorts of detrimental behaviors against the elderly, against women, against children, against people who just can't stand up for themselves. I mean, quite frankly, if not for Christians and the standing up even for slaves and and their desire for them to be set free, why even do that at all? Why even seek justice at all? Right. If there's really no means to, there's, there's no goal here. There's no purpose for our existence. It's a horrible worldview. Then there's the pantheistic worldview, which holds that all is one or all is divine. There's this impersonal divine energy and there's no good or evil or right or wrong. It's all morally relative after all. But then there's this, I believe, the right view. (laughs) I'm trying not to be biased here. But when you read God's word, this is the only view that really makes sense to me. The Christian theism, which accepts the existence of a personal creator, God, who remains involved in all of his creation, and he is purposefully directing it. So human beings are specifically created in God's image. They're unique with an inherent value, an abortion that is seen as murder, the deliberate taking of a unique and worthy life that is made in God's image. Why then there's this disagreement in Christendom seems to be uh, quite a, a, a process to unravel for me, because if we read God's word for what it says and don't read our own emotions or views or paradigms or eisegetical perspective into that, that somehow we just already have a preconceived notion. We're reading that into God's word and trying to find all the scriptures that support that. If we truly just read it cover to cover, you just can't come to the conclusion that life is somehow expendable when it is inconvenient or, or somehow that it doesn't hold value in this case, but it does in this case. We don't have that right. This is holy for God to determine because he has made life and he has value for life and all life is precious to him. So I think that, that there's so many misunderstandings that have clouded the Christian judgment in this that's led ultimately to general confusion that somehow leads to people having a wrong perspective and justifying that perspective because they feel like they have a righteous cause behind it without any biblical support for it. So, Dr. Ford, you, you're welcome to chime in at any point here. I don't want to take away like I did last week, where on the whole social justice <laughs> issue, I kind of dominated that conversation, and I certainly didn't mean to. But I, I think when we look at the morality of all of this, many states seem to uphold the legality of abortion access even after the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And to some, these facts are enough to cause them to move on and avoid the whole conflict altogether. I mean, even right here in Colorado, we're one of the the most liberal states in this issue, and we seem to support every means or abilities to abort a child and and support it with with cheer and celebration. It's just it's a uh, it's shocking to me that that's happening right here in Colorado. So if it's legal, what's the point of arguing against it is what many people will say. But again, let me add that slavery used to be legal, too. So the point is that just because something is legal does not make it morally right. This is a moral issue. And there are two perspectives on rights 
It has been said that the controversy over abortion stems from a question of rights, the rights of the woman versus the rights of the baby. And at some point, the scales tip in favor of one over the other. Here's another great quote from John Feinberg and Paul Feinberg. They're professors of biblical and systematic theology. Here's what they say on this issue. Pro-life advocates cannot understand why abortionists are insensitive to the baby's right to life. After all, they reason this baby is a human being. If there is no right to kill a person after birth, why should there be the right to kill one before birth? Can't abortionists see that this is murder? And on the other side of the question, advocates of abortion rights cannot understand why pro-lifers want to abridge a woman's right to exercise freedom of choice and apparently control what she can do with her own body. Invariably, the two sides begin their defense and focus it around either the baby's right to life as a person or the woman's right to freedom of choice. So this begs the question, Dr. Ford, where do rights come from? We, we throw that term out a lot. My right to this, my right to that. Where do rights come from? So if someone claims abortion is a right, then we better be quite sure about where such a right supposedly comes from. Our founders agreed that rights come from God, and the government was positioned to secure those rights. Here's what we read in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Does God give us the right to take the right to life away from another person outside of capital punishment? That becomes the question that inevitably comes out of this. When does life begin? What is personhood. So if the fetus is a human life, then that life is protected by the laws of our government. And the science is clear. Dr. Ford, correct me if I'm wrong on this. The science is clear that life begins at conception. Again, Feinberg says the embryo is alive. Once sperm penetrates the egg and fertilizes it, the cells begin to replicate. That is life, isn't it? And not just any life, but human life. And some pro-choice supporters have shifted the question to one of personhood. So if the fetus has a life, they wonder whether it has the rights that personhood offers, right? So if you can't beat the argument that this is a life, then you have to say, well, then when does that personhood kick in so that those rights are given to that person? So now it's like, okay, we're going to lose the argument that this is life. But now let's argue when do the rights kick in for that life? Because, you know, after day one, it still hasn't deemed itself worthy to receive the rights of a full personhood with fully developed arms and limbs, right? I mean, it's foolishness, really, when you examine this. But the fetus may be a potential person, but not necessarily have all the rights of personhood is what they argue. So let's take a look at the historical views then on abortion. And Dr. Ford, we may not be able to get through all of this today, but let me throw this out here. What the Let's just look at what the early church dealt with to understand the historical concept, uh, historical context in this, because historically Christians opposed infanticide and abortion. That, that's, that's the reality. The early Christian author Tertullian 
who passed in 225 AD, he wrote that he opposed abortion as a precipitation of murder. Okay, so among the ancient Romans and Greeks during the early years of Christianity, pagans would routinely kill newborn infants. An author and former professor of sociology, Alvin Schmidt says, infants were often killed for various reasons. Those born deformed or physically frail were especially prone to being willfully killed, often by drowning. Some were killed more brutally. Even Seneca, whose moral philosophy was on a higher plane than that of his culture, said, we drown children who at birth are weakly and abnormal. So Schmidt goes on to say that in contrast to the Greeks and Romans of the time who held life in low regard, the early Christians strongly opposed infanticide and championed the sanctity of human life. So this is not a modern phenomenon. This is not something of our contemporary age that we're suddenly dealing with. This really defined the early church that you stood up for those who were oppressed. You defended the defenseless, and that included the orphans, the elderly, those still in the womb, those who just came out of the womb, that just because they looked different, maybe deemed as weakly or abnormal in some way, that they still had value before a holy God who gave that life into this world that he be glorified through that life. So this really defined the early church to stand apart from this injustice in the culture. So why has now the church become so desensitized to this issue that suddenly it becomes, oh, it's about women's rights as opposed to defending the defenseless. And Dr. Ford, to your point before the program, you mentioned this is even bigger than the mother and the baby. That's right. This this affects the doctor. This affects the families. This What could that child have contributed to the society at large? Who would have ever been able to tell my mother that had she chosen to take my life and not allow me to breathe my first? How Can you imagine if someone had caught her even before she was to give birth and say, your son is going to go on to have five children of his own. And those five children are going to become devout believers, serving in church and ministry all around the world. And your son is ultimately going to work for Focus on the Family for 20 years, then the National Day of Prayer, and then become a pastor and get on the radio and and implore women, keep your baby. Who could have ever imagined? Could you imagine the look on her face if she had heard all of that? It would have been a no-brainer. Of course I'm going to keep my child, no matter what it might cost me. You almost want to just embrace every mother out there who's contemplating the taking of their child's life and say, your child has a story that is written for a reason. God sees your unformed baby, and this baby, he is going to do something amazing through. Just allow him to be God, yeah. not you. Just, Just... Wait on the Lord. Be patient. Watch what he's going to do. This baby is not an accident, nor are you an accident. And he loved you before the foundation of the world. And then you want to grab every dad who's not sure of whether or not they can even be a dad and embrace them and say, your story is not finished. God has a greater plan than this. Will you trust him even in this? So Dr. Ford, I get real passionate on this subject because I'm the product of this discussion. There were many in a room that were trying to encourage my mother not to have me. And so I'm grateful that the argument swayed in my favor, in my favor, because here I am today to be able to, to, to shout hopefully from the rooftops yeah. that all life is worth fighting for. 
And that, that includes those who are already out of the womb. That includes those who are at their 99th birthday. Every life is precious. So I know, Dr. Ford, we're gonna, we're, we've got a lot more to cover on this, and maybe you can kick us off next week if we sure. talk about what this means to be imago dei, formed in the image of God, and a God who sees us in the womb and handcrafts us, if you will, that there's never going to be another like you, and your fingerprints are unique to you, your eye print is ne- unique to you, your very eye design is unique to you, right? So everything is unique to you. God has a reason for this. So I hope next week, is, and Dr. Ford, I'll give you more time to talk about this. Bless your heart. You're so patient with me. So I want to thank you all for listening to Engage in Truth today. We are just scratching the surface on this discussion of abortion. And I believe next week we'll be able to bring it all home for you and really engage in some scriptural context here to strengthen the case for the unborn. And uh, Dr. Ford, I look forward to your comments as well. So if you want to listen to this program again, go to calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays, and we love to worship with you. God bless you, my friends. Take care.